Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our very own Boom Bang Oh My Gosh Wow podcast, which you will find along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. Well, today I have a returning and a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author to share with you. She is Patricia Levy, and her winning book is titled Low Fat Love, the 10th Anniversary Edition. Previously, her book titled Celestial Bodies, the Tess Lee and Jack Miller novels, was the 2022 Firebird Awards first place winner for romance last quarter. In addition to being a best-selling, award-winning author, she is a publisher, arts advocate, and internationally recognized leader in research design and arts-based research. On the academic side, she earned her PhD in sociology at Boston College. She was a tenured associate professor of sociology at Stonehill College from 2002 to 2012, where she also served as a founding director of the Gender Studies Program and the chairperson of the Sociology and Criminology Department. She serves on the advisory board for Arts and Humanities and Medicine program at the University of Maine. There's just so much more to know about our talented guest, and you can find out more at her website, patricialevy.com. And I am so looking forward to another conversation. So welcome back, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. It's great to speak with you again. Oh, I feel the same way. I was looking forward to this. And once again, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I'm truly, truly honored. These awards are just amazing, and I love the mission behind them. So it's it's really an honor. Well, I appreciate you as well. You know, I, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about your book title. I, I thought about it, obviously, before, but something hit me last night. And I was just thinking about low-fat love, um, not what love is supposed to be, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, what we want is the real deal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's one thing to eat, you know, I can't believe it's not butter or low-fat <laughs> frozen yogurt or whatever. We can sort of trick ourselves and pretend it's the real thing. But when it comes to love, including self-love, self-esteem, and romantic relationships, and all different kinds of love, really we shouldn't settle. And that's what this title is meant to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people, and women in particular, often and end up settling for less than what they really want, often because they don't think they can have what they truly want. So I sort of term that idea low-fat love. Yeah, you know what? I think it's brilliant because you can talk about, oh, well, you know, you need, you deserve more, you should get more. But when you put it in terms, I think, of eating, because, you know, everybody, <laughs> everyone likes that, kind of hits you in, in a different way. How did you come up with that? Well, you know, I actually, I wrote the book first. And as I often do, I was using just a placeholder title. And this was actually originally my debut novel. So I had published many nonfiction books up to that point, but I had never published fiction before. And I sort of did it very privately, almost on a lark, just for myself. I didn't even know if I would publish it. And I just used a placeholder title because I didn't know what to call it. And then when I was done with the book, I decided I really needed a title that captured the concept of this book, this idea of settling for less than what we really want. 
And I also really wanted a title that would sort of cut through the noise because, you know, as you know, there are so many novels published every year and this was my debut. So I wanted to try and make the most of it. And so I really thought for a long time about a title. And actually, it's a funny thing. It was a song that ended up inspiring me. I was listening to music by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Tori Amos. And she has a song from the 90s called Caught a Light Sneeze. Um, and I was listening to that song. And then I went online and sort of listened to some of her interviews around the time when that song and uh, the album Boys for Pele came out. And through listening to all of that, this idea of low-fat love emerged. And I knew as soon as I thought of it that that would be the title. <laughs> Genius. Absolutely. You just never know how things happen, though. Art inspires art. Like, I, I knew I needed this kind of a title, but I had no idea what it would be. And then, you know, you're listening to music, and next thing you know, it's sort of, it's like breadcrumbs. It leads, it leads you down the yellow brick road, and you find that title. I love when things happen like that. They seemingly are random, but clearly are not. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So did this come from a personal place, or is that too personal to ask? Oh, you can ask me absolutely anything. I'm a good sharer. And it did. It came from a personal place, but not only a personal place. So what really happened is, you know, in my work life at the time, I was a sociology professor, and I taught a lot of sort of intimate classes. I taught a class about um, pop culture. I taught a class about the sociology of gender. I taught a seminar called Love, Intimacy, and Human Sexuality. So these were, you know, the kinds of classes where the students would all sit in a circle and we would talk about the readings or films we were watching, but people would also talk about their own experiences. And so students would often share things about their experiences or their friends or their roommates. And then sometimes outside of class, you know, in my office, they would come in and they would share things about their personal life or things that had happened over the weekend. And so I was sort of hearing what to me was a lot of stories about people um, suffering from self-esteem issues, people suffering from body image issues, people in relationships that were not serving them and trying to make dysfunctional relationships work. At the same time, as a part of my academic research, I was conducting interviews with women of different ages from different backgrounds, also about self-esteem, their intimate relationships, uh, body image issues, eating disorders, sort of a range of topics. And again, I kept getting struck by this, this feeling that a lot of people were suffering from self-concept or self-esteem issues. A lot of people were in relationships that weren't serving them. They were trying to make it seem like it was better than it was, um, trying to convince themselves as much as anybody else. And then at the same time, I had had a couple of my own roller coaster toxic relationships, you know, the stuff that bad rom-coms are made of. Um, and I had survived to tell the tale, but barely. Um, and I had friends who had had the same kinds of things, you know, many close friends who had had, you know, relationships that with people they really cared about, really loved, as I had had. And yet it was always sort of a toxic relationship and ultimately it was designed to fail. And so when you get out of all those relationships, you're left with these questions like, you know, how is it that I could have loved this person or we love each other, whatever it is, but there was no way to make it work. It was sort of designed to fail. And at some point, I think it's important to look within and, and not, you know, it doesn't really matter what he or she or whoever the person is did or all of their flaws or all of their issues. At some point, 
you have to look at what did I bring to the table and why did I stick around and why did I stay in this? So really, it was an accumulation of things I had heard from my students, from my friends, my own personal experiences, things I had heard in interviews over the years. And I felt like I had this sort of like cumulative insight about um, women in relationships that I wanted to share, and I had no way to share it. So I was on sabbatical from teaching one semester, so I suddenly had a lot of time sprawled out in front of me, which wasn't normal at the time for me. And so I had time, and so I just started writing, and I really didn't know what it would be. And, you know, the next thing you know, I had written this novel. Oh, my you strike me as a very accessible person. So I could just see you sitting in a circle with these, with these students. And, you know, you were just one of them and a friend and they felt free to share those stories with you. I think that's also an important lesson too, is to be there for others and to be open no matter what your role is. Absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, really you're just guiding a conversation, but you're not leading it per se. And I think that's something that people forget. Like sometimes the best thing to do is just to open up a space in which other people can think and reflect and talk and share. Um, and, you know, that can be tricky to do. It doesn't always go as well as you hope it will. But but that was overall, that was my approach to teaching mm-hmm. the whole time I was a professor, was to try and, you know, provide the materials, so give them readings, give them films, um, and create a space, but then really make it conversational and um, intimate in that way. Right. And for you to be a part of that as well, so it's not Absolutely. like you're just overseeing it, um, you know, to have you be part of the process, I think, probably was very heartwarming for them. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, and I also think it's important to sort of bring your failures with you Mm -hmm. out in public, Mm -hmm. not just your successes. And I certainly learned that when I was teaching. So, you know, when I was sharing things from my own life or things I'd experienced or witnessed, I would often talk about, you know, moments where I made a mistake or I wish I had done something different or I, you know, or those kinds of things. And I think it's really important if you want people to feel um, open to share and to reflect that you need to be able to do that in an honest way. And so I definitely try to do that in my teaching. And I try to do it in my writing, too. You know, in your writing, of course, as the author, you're sort of standing behind characters in a plot, and those people aren't you, and that plot didn't happen to you. But it's very much infused with who you are and your experiences and your perspective, because how could it not be? So it is very much a way, I think, of, of sharing. And I think... Um, with Low Fat Love, I think the reason that the book uh, did well, which actually really surprised me at the time, I think it's because it's really raw and honest. And so it's an imperfect book. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, it was my first novel, so I didn't know what I was doing. I have rewritten it, so the 10th anniversary edition is entirely rewritten, so it is a better version. But at the end of the day, it was still a first effort. But I think it resonated with a lot of readers because it was just so raw and honest and there are some sort of, you know, ugly bits in it where the the main character, Prilly, um, you see her spiraling, you see her treating herself poorly, um, you see how she gets stuck in this toxic relationship with this romantic partner and also a toxic work relationship. And, you know, you see all of that happening in what I think is in um, a pretty honest and raw way. Mm-hmm. And people appreciate that. And you can feel that. You can feel I that. I think so, yeah, sure. I do. Sure. All right, well, maybe give us a little peek inside the book so our listeners have an idea of what they can expect. Absolutely. So the book takes place in New York City, and there are two women who are editors at a publishing house. 
Um, so you have Prilly Green, and she is our protagonist. And uh, I never say anyone's age in this book, um, so people have imagined all different kinds of things. I imagine her in her 30s. I think that's where she is. Um, and her her colleague, who is sort of her boss and thinks she's her boss, her name is Janice Goldwyn, um, and she's a real tough lady, and she is not the nicest person to work for. Um, and you sort of, the, the novel sort of follows these two women's lives and, and why they are the way they are. And what we learn over the course of the novel is that, you know, Janice has a very troubled past. I won't give anything away, but she has a troubled past, and her marriage is really a facade, and she sort of has this facade of having a fabulous life. Um, you know, she's wealthy, she has a great career, she's married, she has a son, but deep down she feels it's all a house of cards that could blow over, and she's dealing with issues from how she grew up that she has not dealt with yet. But those do get dealt with over the course of the book. And Prilly, who is really the main protagonist, um, she's very much somebody who wants to have what she considers a big life. So she moved to New York in pursuit of a big life. So she wants to be involved in arts and culture, and she wants a fabulous romance, and she sort of she wants that dream life, or what she thinks of as a dream life. And so, of course, she goes about it all wrong, as so often we do, um, especially when we suffer from self-esteem issues, which she does. You learn right in the opening chapter that um, she thinks that beautiful women have an easier shot in life and a big life is readily available to them. But if you're not beautiful, you know, a big life is going to be a lot harder to have. And she doesn't think she's beautiful. She sees herself as in the middle, as she calls it, you know, not ugly, but not beautiful, and that women like her have to work a lot harder to have any shot at what she thinks of as a big life. And then she meets this guy, Pete Rice. He's, you know, he's gorgeous. He's sexy. He has a British accent. He's an artist. Um, they fall madly in love. And, you know, so she feels like this is going to be her entree into a big life. But he has, um, he's not really great at monogamy. He has very unconventional views about relationships. Um, he uh, sort of plays with her self-esteem issues, we'll say, and she ends up unraveling over the course of their relationship. It's an on-again, off-again relationship, and she's just constantly in a state of unraveling over it and trying to make something work um, that is not working and that is making her, her life in many ways worse. Um, and so it's really a journey of these two women who in two different ways have settled for what I call low-fat love. Um, and their lives appear very different, but they both really are. It's two sides of a coin of low self-esteem issues um, and how you try to cover that up in your life. And so they go on this journey. And, you know, it, by the end of the book, um, their lives are not perfect by the end of the book. So it's not the typical rom-com happy ending. I really tried to subvert that and make this more realistic to what people's lives are like. But they have grown, and they are making better choices by the end. Oh my, and you are so good at characters, at, at writing and writing your characters, developing them. You have a lot of secondary characters. It's quite a cast of characters. Thank you. Thank you so much. I do, I do try and, you know, my novels are always very character driven. To me, the characters are more important than the plot. The plot is sort of secondary because I feel like, you know, you really, to to learn from a novel that you read, to take something away from it, to relate to it in some way, you have to relate to the characters in some way. They have to be resonant. And they're always flawed. They're never perfect. Um, and in this is 
this book, Low Fat Love, they're they're sort of deeply flawed, and in some ways the characters are unlikable, um, but in some ways we all can be unlikable and can be unlikable towards ourselves. And so I do put a lot of time into the character development, including, you know, there is this sort of cast of, um, of friends and others that are also in the book that all have sort of central stories. So, for example, Janice has a 17-year-old son, and he is very close friends with his cousin, Natasha, who is going to NYU. So she's, you know, in her early 20s. And there's a whole separate storyline that happens with her, and she's sort of, she's beautiful. She's the party girl. She's outgoing. So it looks like she's having a big life for, you know, a 21-year-old. But really, she's also suffering and she's also making poor choices. And we see where some of those um, decisions lead and some of the things that she has to endure because of that. So there are these different sort of narratives woven into the book, but they all have um, they they shine a different light on this like overall concept of low fat love of settling and how different girls and women embody that in different ways in their lives, but also hopefully it's a hopeful message of you know how we can all work on ourselves to sort of get to a better place. You you almost feel like you're watching a movie. Thank you. That it's, it's a huge compliment. And and when I write my novels, you know, at this point, this was originally my first, although the 10th anniversary edition is new. Um, but at this point, I've written more than a dozen, and I see them in my mind unfolding like a movie. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, that's really how I write. And um, in fact, I have, you know, a writing group and a weekly writing buddy. And every once in a while, my writing buddy will have an edit and say, you know, you need to take this part out. You're describing it like it's in a movie. And I can see how it's playing out in your mind, but you need to rewrite that bit. So, um, but that is, that is absolutely how I write these. I see the characters and then they sort of take me where they're going and I watch the whole thing unfold in my mind's eye and I, I try to I try to transcribe it as fast as I can. I was going to ask you, because I'm sure that those listening to our conversation might want to delve a little deeper into any advice you might have on how to write dynamic characters. Absolutely. And, you know, I will say I actually have a brand new nonfiction book. It comes out in one week. I think it comes out September 2nd. It's called Reinvention Methods of Social Fiction. And it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Um, The publisher is Guilford Press. If you go to guilfordpress.com, you can purchase it there. And if you're in the U.S. or Canada, they give you free shipping and an automatic discount. But anyway, it's called Reinvention Methods of Social Fiction, and it is about how to write fiction. Um, and so, and I do go into great detail about characterization and building characters. And there's lots of activities in the book that creative writers can follow to help them develop characters. Um, but just to give some like quick advice now, one of the things I recommend is writing a character profile. So you have an idea for a character, write down whether it ends up to be half a page or four pages, it doesn't matter, but write down everything you know about the character um, from their name and really think about names because names can carry all kinds of meanings. They can denote age, they can denote um, race, ethnicity, religion, Um, they can make someone have a sort of ordinary quality or they can immediately give them a, a standout quality. So think about names. Um, think about a physical description. 
what does this character look like? And then start to think about how are we going to learn what this character looks like? Are we going to learn about it from their perspective or from somebody else's perspective or both? Because those are very different things. How we see ourselves and how others see us, very different. Then think about how this person spends their time. So what is their job or are they in school? What are their hobbies? Um, and really, you know, the, the fullness of their lives. What is this person doing seven days a week? Then think about their relationships. Who are the people that are in their daily life? Who are the people that have been important over the course of their lives? Who are the most pivotal people and what kinds of relationships do they have with them? So if they have a best friend, what kind of relationship? Is it a joking relationship or do they mock each other? Do they tease each other playfully? Is it a serious relationship? There's all different kinds of friendships. Um, and then finally, what I think the most important thing is when developing a character is to to decide what is their central or core motivation and value. What is the thing inside of them that is moving them? So with Prilly in Low Fat Love, her her central motivation is she wants a big life, but her her central issue is that she suffers from low self-esteem and she thinks that you have to look a certain way to have the kind of life she imagines. And so she tortures herself over that. Um, you know, for other characters, you mentioned earlier Celestial Bodies, the Tesley and Jack Miller novels, So, um, which is my personal favorite, that collection of six novels. And Tesley is my favorite protagonist. Um, and on the surface, she's very successful. She's a world-famous author. She's, you know, multi-multi-millionaire. Um, and she's a philanthropist, so she's always giving back. She cares about others. But deep down at the core, she does not fully believe she is worthy of love, and that comes from childhood abuse that she has suffered and, and not fully being able to deal with that. So these are the things that she carries. So whenever you're developing a character, I think, you know, you do sort of the obvious. They have a name. They have a physical description. They have the activities that they're engaged in. They have the people in their life. But really at the core, who are they? What is the thing that drives them? What is their biggest fear? What is their greatest value? Because when you can tap into those things, you can write a really three-dimensional rich character that will be relatable to other people. Oh, excellent. And what a great segue I didn't know I was getting into about your new book, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, You know, it's just, it, it's, when you write nonfiction and fiction, you often have books coming out at the same time. <laughs> oh, you know, I've written nonfiction. That's kind of what I do. And I would just love to write fiction. And when I think about writing characters, knowing my personality where I'm just, I get to the bottom line as quickly as possible and just cut to the chase. It makes me wonder about the pace of the reveal. You know, when you're writing your characters, I'd probably put it all out there on the first page. But you know what? I actually think if you get to the heart of it, there are, there are different ways of pacing it because I try to give clues from page one about who this character really is, but I don't spell it out. And so I might not spell it out till page 100 or 150 or whatever it might be, but I, but there are clues from that very first page. So, you know, so in Low Fat Love, for example, in the very first page, um, you see Prilly in her office with her boss. And he wants her to reject a manuscript, and she feels badly about it. But when you when you he, 
hear her interior dialogue, you get a sense of who she is. And what does she do immediately after this? She goes home um, to her apartment. She's alone, and she's watching, like, one of the entertainment tabloid shows um, while she's having a glass of wine and making dinner. And there's a story about Angelina Jolie or some celebrity, and she immediately is in a place of feeling envious. Um, and this is all within the first two pages of the book. Um, and so, and she's watching the story, sort of admiring this celebrity, and at the same time, um, it makes her feel badly about herself. So, and that is the core of who the character is. Now, you don't know how that's going to play out on page two. You don't know about the relationship she's going to end up in and how that's going to go, but you do get this sense of who she is immediately. Um, so I do think, I think it's a gift, you know, what you have that you can get to the bottom of it. And I think you can sort of like breadcrumb that out from, from page one. So I would love to read any fiction you choose to write at some point. Maybe my book reinvention will help inspire you to do it. Thank you. I will check that out. That's on my bucket list. I interview all these wonderful, outstanding authors and I learn so much and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to do that someday. Absolutely. But if you do one, you do have the skills to do the other. Sure. So you, you, you can do this. I believe anybody can do it, but I certainly think you can. So when the time comes, I, you know, I think it'll be terrific. <laughs> Look at, we've got this all switched around. It's like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're supporting me. Thank you very much. I, I'll have to give this some thought sometime. Let's talk about your cover. Where did that concept come from? Okay, so the history of low-fat love is, um, it's, it's a funny history, which I will share with you. Um, so this is the fourth time this book has been published, which is a crazy thing. Um, so originally the book was published, I guess now about 11 years ago, um, and I am very grateful to that publisher, who they're no longer in business, but I'm very grateful to that publisher, it was small independent publisher who published the book, and I'm still very good friends with the owner and everybody who worked there. I say this as a preface to, to the fact that it was not the optimal publisher for a novel for a lot of reasons. They had never published fiction before. They had only published nonfiction. I convinced them to publish it, so, you know, I did pursue them. Um, but there were just a lot of sort of issues, including that I couldn't have the cover that I wanted because they had this sort of cover template that they used for all of their book covers. And so I was stuck with that. I was stuck with the font. I was stuck with um, placing an image in a certain location on the cover. So I was just sort of stuck with this format that I didn't like at all. And I always had a vision of this book cover, but I couldn't realize it. So then we published us. The, the book turned out to be um, very successful at the time, which shocked us all, to be honest. Um, I never thought anyone would read it except maybe, I don't know, my father and my husband, but it yeah. turned out a lot of people did. And so a few years later, we published an anniversary edition of the novel. Um, and, you know, it was another case of I was able to get a better cover, <laughs> but still not what I wanted because I was working with the same publisher. And, and they had sort of opened up and were willing to do more than they had in the past. Um, with, uh, you know, cover art, but they weren't willing to do what I wanted to do. Then uh, that publishing house was sold to a different large publisher, and that large publisher, would, you know, with my cooperation and collaboration, published Low Fat Love in an anthology of three novels. Um, and I actually did very much like the cover for that book. However, it wasn't really just for Low Fat Love. It was for three novels. So, just the history behind this. First of all, I have gotten back the rights 
from two different publishers so that I would own both that love, my debut novel. I had sold these rights to two different publishers, and they both honorably returned those rights to me when I asked for them. Um, and I had never been able to sort of publish the version I wanted to. So when I got the rights back and the 10th anniversary was coming up, I decided I'm going to put out what I believe is the final English language edition of this book, um, and it will finally be what I had always wanted it to be. So first of all, I rewrote the book. I edited the entire book. I'm a much better writer now than I was over 10 years ago, um, and the book still is what it is. It's a different style than I write now, but I improved it, and I also completely wrote a new ending because... I was never satisfied with the ending of Low Fat Love. I thought I had a good idea at the time, but I didn't execute it properly. Um, and so I was always thought it was a really disappointing ending for the book, and I've always regretted that. So I went back and I wrote a completely new ending to the book, um, which is what I always wanted to write. Um, and then for the cover, I had always envisioned just this very simple sort of silver color with black and hot pink writing, and I wanted a font that had this sort of 80s-looking style because although the book takes place in contemporary New York, there's a tribute to 1980s pop culture throughout the book, um, and so I sort of wanted that. So I just wanted this very clean simple cover, which I've never had before. I've always had lots of artwork and font I didn't want and that kind of thing. But I always felt like the book is really about the concept of low-fat love, which you hit on immediately. It's really, you know, the title in this book really does say it all. They often say you can't judge a book, you know, by its cover. In this case, I would say you probably can because the, the title really does capture what the book is about. And so I wanted this sort of simple cover that just highlights the title. So so anyway, I was thrilled that after three other publications and over 10 years, I was finally able to put out this fourth and final edition that I truly feel proud of. And I, I got one of my all-time favorite authors in the world, Laurel Richardson, who wrote a forward to this edition. Um, and so it's just been a joy to be able to put it out the way I always imagined it. Oh. I love that story. That is, that's perseverance and hanging in there and, you know, finally getting it done the way you want it. Absolutely. And that's a message I would love to, you know, before we wrap up, I would just love to reiterate that and leave that message with listeners that, first of all, you know, if you can do better later on, then do better. Mm -hmm. If you could, you know, people think that a novel, once it's published, it's done. If you can revise it, if you can put out a new edition, if you, if you can make it better, um, there's no reason not to. Other artists do this all the time. Musicians do this all the time. They put out anniversary editions of their albums. They put out acoustic versions, all different kinds of things. So there's no reason that writers can't do that as well. And I would also say, you know, first of all, think long and hard before you sign away the rights to your work, mm -hmm. um, which is something I don't do anymore with my fiction. Um, I do retain the rights, and I, I come up with publishing deals with my publishers where I retain the rights. So just that's something to think about what it means to give away copyright and other rights to your work. And if you do find yourself in that position and you ever want those rights back, you might not be able to get them, but you might be able to. And it is definitely worth pursuing. I was lucky to be successful twice, uh, largely because I was working with honorable people who, mm -hmm. who thought I made some good points in my arguments, and so they gave them back to me. Um, but that's just something for creatives to think about. 
Oh, excellent. So much good advice in this short amount of time. I so appreciate you. I want to be sure we uh, give all of your contact information too, because you also have Paper Stars Press, your own imprint. I don't know yeah. if you work with other authors or not. I'm not working with other authors right now. Okay. I, you know, I was the editor for 10 different book series for many, many years, and so I was constantly working with other authors. So I decided to start Paper Stars Press and focus on my own work with it. So at least for the time being, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> there you but, go. But if anyone wants to learn about me, my books, Paper Stars Press, they can really just visit patricialevy.com. Levy is L-E-A-V-Y. Um, it's like the word heavy, but with an L. I always tell people so they remember. But if you just go to patricialevy.com, you can learn about my books, Paper Stars Press, and there's links to my social media. And I am very engaged on my social media, and I do try to respond to everybody that comments or messages me. Oh, you are absolutely fabulous. This is just so, so good. We learned so much, so much today. And obviously, there's so much more. Uh, so I hope everyone heads over to your website, patricialevy.com. We talked about the book, Low Fat Love, the 10th anniversary edition. It's out. It's here. Patricia, thank you so much. Please always stay in, in touch with us. Share any of your work. It's just such an honor and a pleasure to get to know you and to share you with our listeners. Pat, you are absolutely the best. Thank you so much. 